Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Well, good morning, Community Christian Church. Happy Labor Day to you all. It is so good to be here with you this morning. I love Sunday mornings. It is just such, it's one of my favorite days of the week, probably my favorite, just because it's the church family. There's just something so special about gathering together online, in person, seeing people, connecting with people, and it's just like, you know, you work all week, you got stuff, you got life, but then you get to rub shoulders with some of the best people that God ever made, and they're all right here in this building, online. It's just so good to get together, guys. I don't, I, I, you know, after the time we've had, I just don't take it for granted being able to get together. And so uh, I just, I feel like we just needed to kind of remember that. It's a big deal. I'm very excited to share today. We are kicking off a brand new series called What If? Asking some very difficult questions. Some of the questions we don't like to ask, but like Pastor Dan alluded to, sometimes life throws us the curveball when we were looking for a fastball and we swing and miss and it's hard sometimes. And it causes us to ask some very difficult questions. And so today I want to tackle one. Um, But I want to do it with a little bit of fun today. So I'm going to ask for your participation. I'm going to ask for your livelihood today. Because uh, as I was kind of prayerfully getting ready for this service, I felt like the Lord was giving me this image of we're going to move some weight today. We're going to move a little weight today. So I'm going to need some muscles engaged. I'm going to need some minds and hearts engaged. Because we're going to get moving some weight today. I believe God is setting people's hearts up for freedom from a weight that has been on their heart, on their soul for a long time. And I believe the Holy Spirit today is going to move some weight. You guys ready? Everybody say, move some weight. Let's see those muscles. Move some weight. All right. We're getting after it. Well, today I'm going to have the pleasure of introducing this series uh, with the big question, if only I had not made that terrible mistake. We're going to talk about regret this morning. Happy Labor Day. (laughs) We're going to talk about regret. And so what I want to do is rather than me bloviate about my experience of regret, what I want to do is dive into God's word and look at instances of regret and then how Jesus comes around and restores a regretful uh, situation. Rather than anything I could ever come up with, I believe the inspired Word of God has the best step-by-step instructions on how we can take regret in our life and hand it back to Jesus and say, Jesus, work through this. Take it like clay in your hand and move it around. Would you adjust it? Make it the way it needs to be. So that's what we're going to do today. But to kick things off, what I love everybody to do is find a partner and share your biggest regret of your life. Go ahead. No one? No one want. Come on, we're... I'm just kidding. Please don't. For the sake of... For the sake of very awkward situations, don't do that. Pastor Chris told me I should share mine, but uh, I don't know if this is necessarily the time or place for that one either. Buy me a cup of coffee. I'll be happy to share. But maybe the podium is not the best place for me to share my regrets. But what we're going to do is look at an instance in Scripture of regret and see if this story can help us navigate that regret maybe better than our partnered up uh, conversations we almost had. So to avoid any awkwardness of this morning, we're going to take a look at the story of Peter. The story of Peter. So if you have your Bibles and you want to kind of follow along, we're going to be looking uh, through Scripture uh, starting in the book of Matthew. 
And we're going to kind of look at the life of Peter in some total. We're going to see his highs and lows and then how Jesus moves into that situation. A little background. Peter. Peter is such an awesome guy. What I love about Peter, and specifically his role in Scripture, is that more than any other character of the New Testament, he, his life is talked about most. Of all the disciples, his story seems to be highlighted. If, you were, if we were to take uh, an author, follow you around, and write your book, wouldn't you want just the best parts to be told? That would be ideal, right? We kind of share this compelling story of our best moments. And Peter had a few of those. But what's so interesting about Scripture is that they take time to highlight his lows as well. And I believe that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as they were uh, creating the Bible, they did that on purpose to give readers, to give us as believers down the road, someone to connect to. It's almost like we can all find ourselves in the story of Peter and say, oh, yeah, I've been there. I get that. I can relate to that. So today, as we look at that, I want you to... Do a little mental exercise. Where are you in Peter's story? Where do you find yourself in his life? A little background on him. Peter was a fisherman, and he came from a fisherman's family. The northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, he was in a coastal city called Bethsaida. And he, as a young man, was a fisherman, but not just like line-in-the-water fisherman. He was hauling-in-nets type of fisherman. So this was not your average day out on the lake. This is a guy who was young, strong. The Bible talks about he was the one that would pull in the nets. So this is not a small guy. If you can think this is like a dock worker, like those grisly, like, like built hands, callous, pulling in these heavy nets with hundreds of pounds of fish at a time. This was a, a man's man type of guy. He was often probably smelled like fish, was sweaty, getting cooked in that Middle Eastern sun. This guy worked a hard life, but he was a young man, so he was more than likely a necessity to his crew. You had kind of, because it was a generational thing, he probably had his dad or grandfather that was in the business. But at his age, in his maybe mid to late 20s, it was very important that he be on this crew. His family also, given this part of the, uh, the world at the time, He belonged to this people group, or uh, in Jewish culture, they kind of referred to these group of people as the uh, Amharats, which basically meant people of the land, which meant kind of what we understand as like simple folk. He was simple. He was not super educated. He was not particularly devout in his Jewish faith. He was not particularly careful about how he was perceived in society. He was just kind of a simple guy. So you get this background picture of him, and then we also get the insight into he was a little unruly, angry, he was a little irritable. So you get this picture of this kind of grizzly bear of a man with a grizzly bear attitude, and Jesus in his walking by says, yeah, that's my guy. Points him out and says, would you follow me? And this is not just like, oh yeah, I had nothing better to do. He goes, yeah, absolutely. And he left a life behind to follow Jesus. What an incredible shift. I think we undervalue how big of a decision that was, that Peter left his whole life, a generational job, something that it it wasn't just a job, it was an identity. He left that behind. And I really do believe the Holy Spirit inspired him to follow Jesus. And I'm so thankful he did, because we needed his life. We needed to see that. 
When, G- when Peter started to follow Jesus, Jesus gave him, I would call it like a prophetic name over him. He changed his name and eventually gave him the nickname, The Rock. Well before Dwayne Johnson made The Rock popular, even though he's probably built like Dwayne Johnson, Peter was given the name The Rock. Now, maybe Jesus took a look at him like we give nicknames, like, oh, you look like a big guy. You're The Rock. But I think Jesus had a layer a little bit deeper than just his physical appearance. It was, he knew that this was going to be the guy. No matter what the world may have thought, him as a simple man, just a fisherman, uneducated, unruly, no matter what the world may have thought, Jesus saw through the layers and said, this is the rock on which the church will be established. There was a prophetic depth to him. It actually, we have it here in Matthew 16, 18. It says, and I tell you, Uh, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I believe that when he was the Peter that was on the boat, he was this irritable, um, just angry type of guy. You didn't know he could just combust. He was just uh, inflammatory. Jesus saw deeper and saw somebody that would be steady, immovable, foundational, and would ultimately be an example of a strong man of God. So I want us to kind of remember this, that Jesus sees a few layers deeper than what we might. Peter, maybe not the A1 candidate of the time, but Jesus saw something a little bit deeper. And so maybe you're in this room and say, I kind of identify, I'm, I'm nobody's A number one choice. I'm telling you, in your heart, or in, in the heart of God, he is seeing layers deeper to see what... He sees what he needs to see, not what the world sees. Peter, ultimately, as he follows Jesus, he gets a front row seat then to the next three years of Jesus' ministry. Talk about a perspective. Three years of following the Messiah where he sees every miracle, every teaching. He had the front row seat. He is documenting it for himself. He's actually participating in the miracles. He is seeing these things. But Peter just like any of us, is human, and he had his ups and downs. Peter is what I would call your classic overcommit and underdeliver guy. Most of the time when he was with Jesus, he had really big words and very little substance sometimes. But I appreciate that about him because, you know, he's, he's human. I, I get that. So what I want to do is take a look at Peter's life, specifically the very end at the most regrettable moment of his life. And I want us, with this context of who he was, see what led him to these regrets. But then I want to really take the magnifying glass to what Jesus did in response. A brief overview of some of these events that Peter was a part of. Number one, Peter dropped his fishing career to follow Jesus as a disciple. A few years later, he steps out of a boat during a storm and walks on water to the call of Jesus. The only other man to do it. Took a couple steps out there. Now he started to sink, but Jesus restored him. He walked on water. He participated in a physics-defying miracle. He rebukes Jesus when Jesus mentioned that he was going to be put to death. Talk about some guts on this guy. He rebukes the Messiah. Talk about uh, overcommit, underdeliver guy. Like, listen, Peter, know your rank. You're a few steps below Jesus here. Maybe not the guy to rebuke, but hey, Peter went for it. And then later, he falls asleep in the garden when Jesus asked him to pray, leading up to his arrest. 
And then after this, he feels like he needs to kind of rebound after this letdown, so he draws out his like fishing cleaver and lops off the ear of a Roman soldier. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you're still getting it wrong. <sighs> okay. Heals the man's ear, puts him back together. Peter, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Even unto the very end, Peter was getting the lessons front row seat from Jesus. Peter sees all of this, even calls his shot and says, Jesus, I would never deny you. Jesus knows it's going to happen, but he says, Jesus, I would never deny you. And this is where we see this deep moment of regret. Jesus is being taken away by the Roman soldiers, and he's about to be put on trial for a death that is immeasurable in terms of torture, physical abuse. He is going to endure a death beyond anything that we would ever see today. He's being taken there, and Peter's kind of sneaking around, keeping an eye on things, and someone sees him. Hey, you're, you're, you were with that Jesus guy, right? And in a moment of panic, he denies him. Oh, no, I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. He cuts bait, and he takes off. He runs. And in that panic, now we all know nobody makes good decisions in panic. Nobody makes good decisions when you're on the run. But in that panic, he doubles and triples down on his denial. No, I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. And, he's, and he distances himself from Jesus. Every time I got to imagine, he feels it. Like, it's like a, like a kick to the gut. His teacher, his rabbi, his mentor, what he knows, he's the one who calls Jesus out, knowing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He gets it probably more than any other disciple. But in a moment of panic, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of frailty, Oh, I don't know that guy. Our self-preservation has a way of kind of superseding the logic in our minds sometimes, even to the point of denying his very best friend, denying who he knows to be the Messiah. So Peter, in his self-preservation, he knows he made a big mistake, and he has three huge failures. Talk about regret. So Peter, at that moment, he cuts bait and he just takes off. And we find later in Scripture, after Jesus' death on the cross, he's buried and uh, resurrected three days later. The next instance we see of Peter, he went back to what he knew to do. He's back on the boat. He's fishing. And he is just living, i got to imagine, with so much remorse. Without needing a show of hands or anything. Anybody ever kind of related to that? You made a big mistake You kind of move on, but nothing really feels right. Food doesn't taste as good for a little bit. Music doesn't sound as good. You get this pit in your stomach. i got to imagine Peter is in that boat, and he's thinking about it. Listen, any of my fishermen out there, you know fishing is a quiet, uh, you're kind of just in your head all day. Talk about just stewing. Peter is out there on the boat, hauling in nets, and he's living with, Arguably the most regretful. Now, he doesn't know at this point that Jesus is alive yet. He just thinks, man, I I ditched this guy. My teacher, my friend. He's just stewing on this regret. So we see that Peter was driven back to a life that he once knew. And it's then that Jesus makes his reappearance. So before I get into that, what I want us to take a look at here is the life of Peter. He shows us three things that we all do with regret. And I'm curious, maybe you find yourself in one of these three. So we can take a look at these. 
What do we as humans do when faced with regret? Number one, we run from it. We run from it. It doesn't feel good. Regret, it's like I said, it's when we don't feel good, whether it's emotionally, physically, our first reaction is how do I go the opposite way of it? Even in Peter's instance, it doesn't make sense. But what we do, it's like touching something hot. We immediately take our hand away. We run from these things that bring us pain. So we run from at Peter's first denial. He panics, runs, and in his rush, he continues to make regretful decisions. Number two, we cover it up. Peter, after lying that first time, saying he doesn't know him, he lies even more. He, he covers up his lie with another lie and then covers that lie with a lie. Any parent with kids? Did you eat a cookie? No. What's all that stuff on your mouth? I don't know. Double down on that lie. Did you eat a cookie? No, she did, points to his sister. Regret, it's, we all do it. In a moment of panic, we make very regretful decisions. I know for me, I had one uh, that I tried to cover up. Uh, when I was, I was going away to college, Darlene and I had been dating in high school, and I was going away to college and I wanted to get her a promise ring. Not an engagement ring, just kind of a, a token of commitment that, hey, I'm going away to school, you're going to school, I'm gonna, I wanna commit myself to you in this season. Well, I was a flat broke high schooler, so I went and bought a ring somewhere very just inexpensive, just wherever I could get my hands on. But I gave it to her and I told her I bought it at a very nice jewelry store, like just high-end, custom-made. Well, as the cheap jewelry tends to go, the stones fell out. The stones fall out, and I'm like, oh, so bizarre. Here, I'll take it. Well, here's the thing. I'm at school. I'm a 1,000 miles away in Oklahoma. Darlene is in Michigan. She's like, oh, Tyler, yeah, what was the name of that jewelry store again? I need to take it to get it repaired. As you can imagine, I'm sweating profusely. My stomach is in knots. Oh, yeah, that store, Googling jewelry stores. Oh, man, okay. Um, now I'm in the lie. Okay, uh, how do I get out of this? All right, double down. All right, give it to my dad and stepmom. I'll have them take it, and I'll just tell them where to go. Take it back to JCPenney, where I bought it, and uh, I'll tell Darlene it's at the really nice jewelry store as it gets fixed. Well, then my dad and my stepmom weren't playing along, I'd, so I <laughs> keep lying, I keep lying, trying to cover it up, and then ultimately it all comes to light. My dad and stepmom, they're like, no, he didn't, he didn't buy that there. He bought it here. He has a receipt right here. I left the receipt for him. So it's all out in the light, and now i got to own up to it. Kind of come like a dog with its tail between her legs. Yes, I bought that ring at JCPenney. I didn't buy it at this really nice jewelry store. Like I said. And it was a very regretful moment. But in panic, I doubled, tripled down on my lie. We all, in some way or another, find a way to try and cover up our tracks when we know we're caught. It's not the right decision, but we do it. Peter was no different. The final thing that can happen when we get into a moment of regret is that we give up. We throw in the towel. It's not worth it anymore. It's too hard. I'm caught. I'll never be forgiven for this. I'll never be reestablished. I am I'm done. I'm, I'm cooked. And so we see Peter, who is being set up, who has already been prophesied over by Jesus himself. You will be the rock on which the church would be established. 
The gates of Hades will never prevail against you. Now nah, I'm going to go back and fish. He gave up. There was something, this God-sized plan that was on Peter's life going one way. In a moment of regret, weakness, breakdown, he says, oh, no, and he turned tail and went back to what he knew. Something that didn't need God. He can fish and never need to talk to God. It was easy. It was the easy decision to hightail and run from the call of God on his life. And he let regret be the thing that turned him around. We all can probably find a place where we have cut tail from a place that God was putting us. But when we messed it up, we're like, oh, no, no. And we washed our hands of it and moved on. It's too painful. But what I want to encourage you with is that when we see Jesus step into this situation, the turn and run stops becoming an option because when Jesus steps in, there is a healing and a restoration that comes and says, no, I have plans. You're going to be human. You're going to mess it up. There's plans that need you to keep going. Peter had a call on his life that was bigger than anything he could do in his own strength, his own might, his own power. Peter being one of the, probably, in my opinion, one of the strongest disciples physically. This was a built man who probably thought he could just do it by sheer will and force. I'm sure there's, I'm not just talking about Peter. I'm sure there's plenty of us in this room that could probably say the same thing. By sheer will, hustle, grit, I can make it happen. But what if I told you the call of God on your life is bigger than what you yourself can do? It is only by the Holy Spirit's empowerment that you could actually step over that line of you and into your calling. That's Peter walked right up to that line, made a mistake, and went the other way. But when Jesus gets involved, that's when the Holy Spirit fills us and we take a step over that line from us into him, from our ability into his ability, from our weakness into his strength. We step into the call of God in our life. So, what, so let's take a look at it from here. We see that Peter had to go from his cowardice to his courage. Where was that flip? Where was that switch that flipped? There is a moment. And for all of us in this room, there is that moment. Today could be your moment where you were kind of running back away from the call of God in your life because of a decision, a regretful decision you made. I'm not here to tell you what what it was or how to deal with it. What I'm telling you is that if you're in this room and you're running, Jesus has a moment of restoration in store for you. If you're willing to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. If Jesus, here I am. Like Pastor Dan said, I give all of me, not just some of me, all of me to you. So let's take a look at that moment for Peter. What does Jesus do with our regret? Number one, Jesus heals us and he heals the wound. He forgives us and heals the wound. What I love is that Jesus was very creative in how he did this stuff. When he called Peter, it was the exact same situation he found him in in his regret. When he called Peter to be a disciple, what was he doing? Fishing. What was he doing in the moment of his regret running away? Fishing. Jesus brought him right back to the place. Like, remember when I called you? Remember when you left everything and you chased after me? I feel like Jesus in his mind and in his sovereignty and his goodness said, I want to remind you of that. Remember when I got a hold of your heart? For all of us in this room, remember that moment when you said yes to God and no to the world? 
when you got saved, when you met the Holy Spirit, maybe it was at an altar call, maybe it was a Bible study, wherever you were at, Jesus brought Peter back to the moment of his conversion, basically. And maybe for you in this room, it's being reminded, remember when I called you? Remember when I set you apart? Remember when I met you at that altar and you gave your life to me? Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart to bring you back to that. It doesn't matter. The regretful decision, yes, it has consequences and that will be dealt with. But the heart of the issue is being made right with the Father. Jesus met Peter right where he had called him in the first place. And I love this. I want to look in the book of John now. John 21. And maybe as a little homework, if you ever wanted to go back and read this story for yourself, it's John chapter 21. It's an awesome passage of this restoration of Peter. But I want us to look at verse 7 and 8 right now. This is Jesus and Peter having a discussion. It says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. This is them fishing on a boat. Jesus makes himself, or he's, um, comes up on shore. And Peter and his friends are in the boat. It says, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped up his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, following with the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. This is a classic Peter moment. In his brokenness, he had not made eye contact with Jesus yet, but from a hundred yards off, that's Jesus, and he in his same tenacity of running away from his regret, he ran to Jesus. In the same tenacity of like, oh, I don't know him, and he hightailed it out of town, when he made eye contact with Jesus, nothing else mattered. He, it says that he tied up his, his clothes, and he hopped in the water and swam a hundred yards back to Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and you've been running one way, but I'm telling you, when you make eye contact with the Savior of your soul, Lord of heaven and earth, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb. You will, that, that spirit of fear that's driving you away, it's the spirit of redemption that will have you sprinting right back. I want you to lean in. Peter, it, everything, all that regret, remorse, it didn't matter. He didn't care. He may have been reprimanded. He doesn't know what's coming his way the proverbial verbal spanking coming to him. He didn't know what was coming his way, but he just knew that was his Jesus. He got in the water and he hightailed it back to shore. Skip down to verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus and Peter and the disciples, they made a meal right there on the shore. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? There's so much to unpack there, and there's been sermons on sermons that have gone into this, but what really stood out to me is this symbolism that Jesus continued to use in his interaction with Peter. I love that Jesus asked three times, one for every denial. This prophetic healing over every regretful decision, Jesus said, I love you, I love you, I love you. For every I don't know him, there was an I love you. 
for every, I, I don't know him, I, I'm running away from him, there was, I have a call on your life. For every, get me out of here that Peter had, Jesus said, don't worry, I have a plan and a purpose for your life, I love you. He put a seal of healing over every instance of regret in, in our lives today. Wherever that pain point is for you, and we all know it, it has a way of making itself present when we lay our head on our pillow. Hopefully I'm not the only one that when you lay your head down, I have this way of remembering every little thing I messed up in life. From time to time it comes back. It's like a person just sitting on, on the bedside waiting for me to close my eyes and say, remember when you made that decision? Remember when you lied about that ring to your future wife? Remember that? Yeah, just stew on that while you go to sleep, all right? That's the most frustrating thing. It could be something as big or trivial. I rem there was one I've been having lately where it's, I lay in bed. It's like, remember when you missed that tackle in football in junior high and your team lost the game? Why is that there? I don't know, but it's a regret, okay? <laughs> I just wanted to win the game. Regret has a way of making itself aware to us at the most inopportune times, but for regret and for the enemy, it's very opportune. When is your mind the most still? Now I'm going to remind you. And it's in those moments, in those times of peace and stillness, Jesus says, I love you. And he covers it. He covers it. Uh, worship team, if you guys want to come back up, I'm going to make one last point here, or a couple uh, quick points. Number two, it says that Jesus frees us from the weight of shame. What I love is that Peter, with this call on his life, we know that just a few months later, as Jesus ascends into heaven and he's praying in the upper room, the day of Pentecost comes and Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this once angry, disgruntled, uh, hard-headed, stubborn man is made anew by the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And he is sent out and preaches arguably the greatest sermon of all time. And it, the Bible says that thousands are added to their number that day. Peter goes from stubborn fisherman to greatest evangelist who's ever lived in a moment. The capacity for the call of God exists within you, but is being set free from the weight of regret that we sometimes self-impose. We have the key, it's Jesus, to the ball and chain on our ankle. But out of some uh, twisted sense of pride, we think, no, this is my cross to bear, this weight. It's my cross to bear. I made the mistake, I have to wear it for the rest of my life. When Jesus is like, no, the call I have on your life needs you to run. And Jesus takes that key, unlocks it, and we can run into the call that is on our life. Jesus wants to set us free from the weight of shame. And then this is the last thing I want us to close out with. And we're going to worship into this point. That no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter what is on you, what weight you walked in this morning with, as the Holy Spirit moves that weight and relieves you of it by the power, by the power of the blood of Jesus, Jesus is good enough to take that and use it for his kingdom. Your regret, your pain, once it's given to Jesus, now it's a tool. What was the thorn in your side, what was the ball and chain in your ankle is now 
a tool in the hands of an almighty God to see the world changed. The reason Peter's story is in scripture, his highs and lows, is to be a tool for us to see this redemption story. Now it's our turn. You are the redemption story. Jesus' miraculous work in you is the redemption story someone in your life needs to hear. The redemption, the freedom work that happened to you is the story that is going to see others. Peter, I'm sure in his sermons, he was not quiet about this. He probably made sure this was written down. I'm sure there's plenty of times in his preaching, he says, guys, I was the worst. I sold out Jesus. I denied him. I ran from him. But look at me now. Look at where Jesus has me now. In the same way, no matter what you walked in with, I'm not here to judge that. It's between you and God. But the freedom that can come when you look at your Savior Savior in the eyes, like Peter did, swims up to the the sea uh, shore, looks at Jesus in the eyes. He probably wants to keep him downcast. Jesus lifts his chin eye to eye and says, Peter, I love you. Today, Jesus is lifting your downcast chin, looking you eye to eye and says, I love you. I have a calling that's bigger than you. I've set you apart for such a time as this. And he puts his identity on you, not an identity of regret and shame, that the world wants to give you, but his identity, it changes everything. When that's in the hands of an almighty God, wait and see what he can do with it. So friends, what I want us to do now is we're going to sing a song we sang earlier today, Sea of Victory, and I want us to worship into this, this statement of faith that where there once defeat, where there once a tool for the enemy, there is now a tool for victory, a tool for kingdom advancement. And I want you to worship it, even if you have not found that freedom yet. Worship as if you are stretching your hand out towards Jesus right now and see that he won't meet you right now. So I'm going to pray and why don't we all stand together. Jesus, we thank you for your redeeming power, your restoration that by the blood of Jesus spilled on the cross, you brought us back into your arms. God, I thank you for your your gaze of love, your eyes of love, your eyes of restoration. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would wash through this room right now, relieving the weight of shame and brokenness. Would you heal hearts and minds and emotions? and bring people back into fullness that you, only your presence can offer. And God, ultimately, would you make us into your image that we might see the kingdom advanced and the world know that you are good. It's that it's all for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.